0: It's amazing how quickly it's uh, it's recovered. We've seen a, a huge amount of people come in over the last couple of months. And I almost feel like I want to go back to that pandemic time again, because <laughs> all of a sudden I'm, there's traffic out the front and getting from A to B gets tougher. Um, the the search getting more crowded, everything's back to full price again.
1: Ricky O'Lawrenshaw, welcome to Sports Legends with Bevo, mate. Really good to to chat with you, mate, and obviously you're doing excellent things over there in Bali. You've been there for 10 plus years. A mutual friend of ours, uh, Pete Oldfield, Pistol Pete, who does some really good things with the Southern Slugs, who crossed paths with you over there in Asia. with involved with footy a couple of years ago. Tell us about Pistol and your involvement there with with Knowing Pistol. Oh,
0: thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yep, here in Bali and enjoying the lifestyle here. Been here for over a decade now, so enjoying the lifestyle. Good to see all the tourists coming back and and Seen people starting to make a dollar again, so that's great to see. And, yeah, Pistol, we've crossed paths in uh, playing football in Asia. Keen to see him come back with his team, the Slugs, back to Bali next year. We've got the Bali Masters again uh, in June next year, which is probably the biggest, we say, the biggest tournament in the world, which it could be. So, yeah, it'd be good to see Pistol back here with his crew.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Obviously, there's over 35s, 45s, over 55. So people of all ages really over the age of 35 can, can get involved, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, well, back in
0: 2019, pre-COVID, we had about 50-odd teams come over for the Barley Masters. So it was a pretty big tournament, managing so many teams over three days and uh, and probably the over-55 is the most entertaining age group to watch, watching those blokes run around with knee replacements or needing <laughs> knee replacements and, and still be competitive. And that's awesome. Some of these guys are in their 60s and they're still having the kick of the footy and, and loving it and being competitive. So now yeah, it's a great tournament. We just had our, our recent Masters uh, again. Last month, we had about 18 teams coming to Bali, which was good considering the restrictions on flights and, and vaccinations and things. Yeah, you know, we, we lost all three divisions. We lost the grand file in the 35s and the 45s and the 55s. So we'll be looking for a bit of revenge next year.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and how did you survive, obviously, the lockdown? Because we, we know about everyone around the world has been doing it tough, some more than others, and, and Bali. And like you mentioned before, it's great to see people coming over there again now and, and bringing that tourism back because we know how much of a great place Bali is and how much they love Aussies. What was it like during that period, mate? How did you keep yourself busy?
0: Yeah, well, economically, obviously, it's tough for a lot of people. You know, locals and expats who had businesses here in Bali. So, you know, it was a tough time to, to make a dollar and, and and people found it really tough. We don't get the government handouts like we see in Australia with the JobKeeper and and government grants. So... You know, a lot of people really struggled through the, that period, but actually living here and and as a family here, um, we had a great time. You know, we I spent a lot of time with the kids, and and we, we had uncrowded surf and and no traffic, and totally different to I guess what we used to mm-hmm. here in Bali, and and just made the most of it. It was a really good two years, and and it's it's amazing how quickly it's uh, it's recovered. We've seen a, a huge amount of people coming over the last couple of months, and I almost feel like I want to go back to that. Pandemic time again because all of a sudden I'm, there's traffic out the front and getting from A to B gets tougher. The surf's getting more crowded. Everything's back to full price again. So you know there, there was there was some good advantages of being in Bali during COVID. And I didn't leave Indonesia the whole whole time since March 2020. I've been in Indonesia the whole time. Haven't returned home. I never did quarantine. So life here in, in Indo Indo was pretty good. I did a few surf trips up to the Mentawai and over to Lombok and. And made the most of it, but you know, obviously, making a dollar was pretty tough. But it's great to see the tourism come back, and and everyone start to get back on their feet again.
1: And let's go, you know, back ten years plus. You, you finished playing footy for the Bombers, as I mentioned, '93 Premiership player. We'll speak about your footy career afterwards. But what made you decide to to move over to Bali? Because you know, obviously, you'd, you'd been there as a as a holiday destination, but it's, it's a big move to to pack up your bags and decide to to move over, move overseas to to a holiday destination like Bali.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I first came to Bali coming back from a football trip to South Africa. I was coming back back through Perth and had a, still had a bit of time off, and decided to whip over to Bali. That was back in nineteen ninety seven. I fell in love with the place the first time i came here the following year we we came here at the Essendon footy club came here in 98 for a footy trip and ever since i just had a, a fondness for Bali. i love the lifestyle i love the surfing and then i always thought about trying to live here i guess when you're holiday here for two weeks it's a different experience of living here full-time and i wanted to try that out so about 10 years ago or so i sold my, my business i was in sports marketing and if you remember I, I managed a lot of footballers Back then, when I sold my business, I got put on a a one-year non-compete clause, which I couldn't work in the industry for for 12 months. I thought, here's a chance to go and try out Bali, see how I go, and I spent three months here, and three months led into six months and into a year, and and that was, it. I never looked back, and and ended up marrying a local Balinese girl, two kids, and set up business here. So that's how it all happened, really. I never had a a set plan to move here for 10 years. It was probably more of a three-month thing initially, and it just grew from there.
1: That's so cool. I'm, I'm very envious because I absolutely love Bali, and I was there a few years ago, and I just had a little one. So it's going to make life a little bit difficult to get over there, in, uh, at least for a little while. But uh, <laughs> no, I know how good a place it is, so I can, can see why you love it so yeah. much. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing when, when I did, when I came to Bali, I had no ambitions of playing football again. I thought I was, I thought my footy days were done. My body was shot. I had no real really interest. And the club president Hinchey um, at the time heard I'd moved to Bali and hit me up on Facebook and said, can you come to training? The club just about shot. We need a few numbers to, to, for training. So I, I went down to the geckos a couple of times and I didn't really get the bug straight away. I, I just wasn't, my heart wasn't in it. My body was pretty, you know, had a bit, bit bust up from my footy days. But then over time, I just sort of, I kept coming down to training and I started to really enjoy it. And the club started to get a few numbers down there. And I just got the bug back and I really worked hard to get my body back in order so I could play. And and I, I realised how much I missed playing football and the banter and the camaraderie. And so I fell in love with the game again. And then, you know, my whole okay, social networks revolved around football here. And then it was really exciting to start introducing the game to, I guess, non-Australians or, or people who haven't grown up with our game. And that's some of the people out of Sydney or, you know, some Indonesians. We've now got, you know, players from all around the world as part of our footy club. So it was great to introduce footy to to people who are foreign to it and to see them develop and now we've got a, a really big community who, who play football we've got a really strong women's team a really strong men's team and and we've got a junior program which you call indo kick not aus kick we call it indo kick and we've also got a program that goes out into the um the local community to introduce football to them as well
1: how good is that and and who do you actually play against rick for the afl geckos well it's a-
0: Tough one because we're the only team in Bali. Um, <laughs> so the only only games we get to play are either touring to other parts of Asia or teams coming to us. So during COVID, the only team we could play was was Jakarta. So we had a few home and away games with them because we could still travel domestically at times. So, yeah, it's a, that's one of the biggest challenges of playing football in Asia is that we don't you know train Tuesday Thursday and, and rock up Saturday to play footy. We have to sometimes travel for two days to get to the ground and, and play one game of football. So, you know, there's challenges in that and, and also funding t- to be able to do that. But it also creates such a, a great, you know, trip to actually tr- you know, travel so far than to you know, put your best effort on for two hours on the footy field. You know, so playing football in Asia, it's, got, it's very unique and it's, and it's something I do love.
1: And the AFL Geckos, you've had some absolute legends. Tell us about some of them as well that have, have played or been involved in the last sort of 10, 15 years.
0: Well, that's that's one thing that's been exciting for a lot of our players is that we've we've seen so many legends of the game come through. Um, we've had you know current players come and tra- uh, train with us even during the season. We've had Jordan Degoa come and train with us twice now during the season. We've had Dustin Martin come and and do a pre-season session with us. And, you know, so we've had some really big names come through. Then we get the, the likes of Wayne Carey and Dermot Brereton and, and Glenn Archer and some really big names come through and and, and come down to training. So it's great for our players to they get to meet legends of the game, something that probably a lot of clubs don't get.
1: How good's that? And and imagine that some mm. of the young ones as well getting to rub shoulders with Dusty and Geordie and and you like you mentioned, even Wayne Carey and Dermie, some of the absolute past and present legends.
0: Yeah, well, I can I can name probably 50 more, I reckon, that I've, I've probably missed a few big names in there. So yeah, that's one exciting thing for us. We get to train with these guys. Sometimes we even get to play with them. We've had, you know, Paul Williams come to Vietnam with us. We had Dane Swan come to Thailand and, and Batam with us. So, you know, we've had some, some pretty good, you know, pretty big AFL names tour with us. And then with the Masters, we always get a number of ex-AFL players playing for us, but also other teams as well, which is exciting to, for a lot of guys to play with and against ex-AFL
1: people. And are you sort of like a player coach or you're just purely focusing on the coaching at the moment? <laughs>
0: No, I'm I'm still playing. I'm still hanging in there. Turning fifty next birthday, and wow. I'm still playing. Do not um, look a day over yeah, thirty? Yeah, so mate. I'm just I'm just <laughs> hanging in there. Uh, I'm pretty lucky because I didn't have many joint issues when I played AFL. I didn't I didn't do an ACL or you know something like that. So my main issues are soft tissue issues, and I'm doing a hamstring, or a calf. That they're my main issues. But I I still train every day. I own the F45 license here in Bali, and I train there most days and surf most days. So I'm trying to keep my body in- intact so I continue to play. And I want to keep playing as long as I can. That's what I, I really want to do. And um, I'm, I'm coaching the club. And sometimes when I'm playing, it's a bit hard to coach, but I'm, I'm trying to mix up the both. And, yeah, I'm just loving it.
1: And you've also got, in October, one of the biggest you know, overseas women's carnivals of all time. It's uh, AFL tennis side. Um, Which is super exciting over there, happening in Bali. Tell us more about that, Rick, and how people can get involved.
0: Yeah, just a step back. We launched our women's team. I think it was 2018, 2019. It's been amazing how many women have joined our our team. And the demographic between the men and women is so different. Our women's squad has such a broad demographic of backgrounds. You know, we've got Irish players and and Canadians and Americans and touch rugby players from New Zealand. So we get a broader demographic join our women's team. Pre-COVID, we were planning to host a tournament here, and obviously that got scrapped because COVID hit. So in October this year, the 1st of October, we're going to launch our first women's tournament, which obviously the Bali Gecko women's team will be will be hosting. So we're just looking for teams to come over and, and join that. It's only 10 aside side on a smaller pitch, and we're just looking to get a, a tournament going with it with a handful of teams initially and make it an annual event, a bit, bit like our, our Bali Masters tournament in June with the men. We started with, I think, three teams 10 years ago, and now we've got 50 teams. So the plan this year is to get a handful of teams over to Bali to play in a TENS tournament and then make that an annual event and grow up from there. And that's going to help, you know, football in in Bali, but also throughout Asia, especially with the women's football.
1: I hope you've got plenty of water and plenty of ice vests over there, mate, because it gets extremely hot during the day in Bali.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does It does get warm. But one thing about playing Asia, it is, it is pretty hot. But I find your body is more suited to playing the hot conditions than than the cold conditions. If you ask me to go and run a lap in Melbourne in July, I don't reckon I could do it. But <laughs> um, the warmer conditions do help the body in some way. And we do keep our games pretty short. You know, like in the Masters, the games are only two by ten minute halves. So you get you get plenty of rest in between, but yes, it's a great environment. We're, we're actually developing a new ground here in Bali, which overlooks the ocean. It's a great surface, and we're hoping one day to have our full size,
1: our own full size football ground to be able to host games and tournaments. And what's it like living in Seminyak? One of obviously the, the best parts of Bali. Well, it's getting busy, I tell you. Traffic's back,
0: and there's plenty of people around. So you know, the, the bintang sealants are out, and the braided hair. That's all kind of starting to come back pretty quickly, and and some other areas have really boomed, like you know. Chungu's now crazy, out of control, busy. Bingham's getting that way up, up in the bucket. So yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting place to live when you've got to try and live here and and work here, and and every night's a Saturday night in Bali. I, I, Every night I get a message from someone who wants to go and have a beer, you know, sunset beer or go to a party. And in terms of lifestyle, you've got to be pretty disciplined because otherwise you could end up drinking every night of the week. I just got a message from David Grenvold, who I played in at the S premiership with back in '93. He's just landed. And he's like, what, what time are you up for a beer? And that and that happens, that happens almost every second day when someone arrives and, and wants to have a beer. It is a it is tough on the body sometimes.
1: Well, as you just mentioned at 1993, let's go back there, Ricky, because obviously one of your proudest moments of your footy career, winning that 93 yeah. flag with what they, what they call the Baby Bombers. You know, let's go back and reminisce about that, what that day was like and, and winning the Premiership against the odds.
0: Yeah, it was against the odds. We weren't thought about as being Premiership contenders you know, probably up until middle of 1993. I, at that point in time, I was just happy to get a game. I wasn't thinking much about finals or playing in Premierships. So I just... I was just happy to get a, get a game each week, and then we got to the finals. and I think we finished on top. So I actually said to my dad uh, as we entered the finals, series, I you know, if I get a if I win a premiership, can I get a tattoo?'" And he just thought, "Mate, you're getting ahead of yourself, son. You know, you're, not, you're miles away from the, winning an AFL premiership. Let's just focus on next week." But that's sort of the first time I thought, "You know, maybe we can we can win, you know, win the flag." So yeah, obviously. The Adelaide Crows gained the prelim. We were down by seven goals. I thought my chances of playing the grand final were pretty slim at that point. We got past them. And once we got past the Crows, we always thought they were probably the best team in it that year. Once we got past the Crows, I always felt like we could beat Carlton. And we went in with a lot of belief. And, and we played in front of big crowds all year. So we felt really well prepared. And we, I know we were termed the baby bombers, but we did have a really strong list of, of older players, experienced players, we had a few stars, obviously. Um, we had some pretty big names in that team, but we had some really good experienced soldiers as well. And then we had the flair of the younger guys, like Heard and McCurie and Mercedes, these sort of guys, and Wanganine, obviously. So yeah, it was it was a good mix of players, and and it was a it was a dream come true, obviously, to to win
1: the flag that year. And I know this is gonna be a tough question. It's almost like asking who your favorite kid is, but who was the best that you played with at the Bombers?
0: Probably surprised a few people with my answer, but I think Mark Curie was the best player I ever played with. On his day, he was just unbeatable. He couldn't match up with him with, with in the air, you couldn't match up with him on the ground. And when he was on, uh, and we probably didn't see the best of Mark for a long time because he did have a few injuries, but he was the, the best player I'd played alongside. And Michael Long's final series in '93 was just unbelievable. He, you know, he was one of the ones that got us to, the, to that flag. And then we didn't see the best of Michael after that because he did his knee in the preseason of 94, which pretty much derailed our whole season after that. But Michael Long at that point, was he was a Dustin Martin of, of the AFL at that point in time. And, and unfortunately, that knee injury, I think we never saw the total best of Michael for a long period of time. But at that point in the final series, I, it was pretty amazing to be out there beside him to watch.
1: And who would have been your toughest opponent during your footy career, Rick? Well, it's it's a it's a big question, and you're probably
0: surprised to hear that. But I played with a bloke called Sean Simpson at Geelong, and he kept, me to, he kept me to four possessions on a Friday night in front of a big crowd. Definitely a low light of my life. And now Sean and I have become friends because his sister lives here in Bali, oh. and she's now business partners with my wife. <laughs> and her husband is my – so Sean's brother-in-law is my best mate. That's and amazing. every time I see Sean, it just – Brings me back nightmares about that night at MCG. It would have been around about 97, I think it was. I could not get near it. He just completely blanketed me out of out of the game. In terms of plays, were really tricky to play on. Like May and Waring, they were really you know really tough opponents uh, as well. Nathan Buckley, I played a number of times. Uh, he was always obviously always difficult. But yeah, it, it, probably the best bloke I saw playing. I would have to say Gary Ablett and Wayne Carey were the two players I thought as a, as a, opposition player were outstanding and i remember that game where gary ablett kicked 14 goals in a losing team against us and salmon kicked 10 down the other end that was a pretty amazing game to be part of and to watch gary ablett live you know from close range kick 14 goals in a losing team was was something out of the ordinary
1: uh, those were the glory days of course we had lockett and modra as well and yeah with kicking many bags of goals and got so many guys to kick over 100 and now you don't even see. Blokes kick 70 or 80 in the season, so <laughs> Yeah,
0: well the game's changed a bit. Four fours just can't stand the goal scorer anymore. They've got to, you know, defensively transition and run down the ground. <laughs> so the game has changed. But talking about when we I mentioned Crows before and you just mentioned Modra. We used to call the Adelaide Crows the 4M's. If you if you can keep the four M's down, then you are win the game. Do you reckon you know who those four M's are? Uh Modra, it's McGinnis.
1: Modra McGuinness McDermott yeah. and I can't remember the fourth. Maynard. Maynard. Oh, the other one? Rocket Maynard. Yeah, Maynard. Oh, so, yeah, when we yeah. statistically look at the crows, if those four fire, you can't beat them. Oh, so, we call them the four M's. The four M's. Oh, there you go. And, yeah. and what about great, great Sheeds? Because I've had him on Legends with Bevo before, and he's a we know how much of a character he is with his wave and the scarves, and the list goes on with the traditions that Sheeds brought up over the years. But uh, what was it like as a coach, and did you cop some sprays from him, Rick? Oh,
0: yeah. We, we, I guess he coped the I've copped sprays from most of my coaches over the period, but it, the best one I copped from Sheed was after that 96 loss to Sydney in that prelim. Uh, I copped an almighty spray that night. He actually apologised to me at the 25-year premiership reunion. So he must have stood on it for a long period of time and thought maybe I was a bit hard on Rick that night, but that was the biggest spray I ever copped. And it, it, the one interesting thing about Sheed, he always come up with really abstract comparisons to things in life, his, historical things and whatever. So... I remember going into that nine three series, he used you know Duncan Armstrong as an example and Debbie Flintoff King, and he'd always somehow link up the game of football to something historical or some other athlete in the world. And he was really good in in, in, in keeping things fresh and 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 not hearing the same thing over and over again. During the week, shes can get a little bit of golf and a bit of a tangent sometimes you know with training or whatever else, but on Match day he was fantastic.
1: And obviously we know how good his record was as well and, and how much of a genius he was. But uh, perhaps a couple of more ideas in terms of what uh, outlandish things that Shes did when you were sort of under him as a coach.
0: Yeah, he, he, he did a few things that back in 93 or in that 90s era, where you thought that's so weird, that's so abstract. But then you see it happening now in, in current day football, you know, flooding and rotations and all those things that we, we just accept now as being normal. When it was done back in the 90s, it was really, it was out of the ordinary. So he probably was always ahead of his time in the way he he coached the team. And, you know, he, he did have some weird and wonderful times with Shea. You know, the one thing he used to do is he used to be talking about a player you'd be playing against, but he'd be talking about that player from a previous era. So, for example, he'd be talking about Scott West and the Bulldogs, who wore number seven, but he called him Doug Hawkins, who wore seven... Decade before, so when you're a player, and you're you're in a in a coach's meeting, and he's referring to players from a previous era. That really confused the players. I remember used to call Ange Christo, used to call Ange Christo Alex Marcu, for example. Um, yeah, so that used to. Give the boys a bit of a, a bit of a giggle in team meetings when he was referring to players in previous eras, and I imagine what it'd been like when he coached GWS. I think those young blokes there would have had the time half the time would know what he was talking about. <laughs>
1: What a and game, he can though. never spell my name right every time
0: he put my name up on the, board, on the whiteboard he never got my name spelled correctly
1: <laughs> well he's got a pretty good record so he can, you can excuse him for that anyway can't you so <laughs> yeah exactly Yeah. and what about in terms of some of the, the funny teammates Rick obviously back in footy these days it's changed a lot because we see you mentioned before about about Dugowie and players can't seem to you know Far, or cough in public these days without, without coughing <laughs> criticism for it so but back in the day when you played in the 90s it would have been a lot different there no doubt so tell us about some of the, the funny characters that you played with at the club and maybe a couple of pranks perhaps that you uh you're involved in or you you come across there
0: yeah there's definitely i guess a lot more characters i felt around back then but we did, we did get away with a lot more there wasn't cameras and social media and so the pranks probably got a bit more outrageous back then, what they, what they do now. There was always guys like Mark Harvey and Dave Calthorpe, these sort of guys who were, were always pushing their boundaries when it came to pranks. And some of them went, went a little bit wrong at times. It seems like today you know, with, with, the, with the social media and the, the amount of journalists that cover football and, and podcasts and, you know, I guess players have to be a lot more stringent in what they do in terms of behaviour. Can I, can I think of an example off the top of my head? Not If I think of something later, I'll bring it up. But, <laughs> yeah, I think plays now are just uh, uh, are under so much more restrictions and, and under the eyes so much more. And, you know, Jordan go recently, uh, he spent some time in Bali. And I did say to Jordan, mate, while you're here, maybe not drive around with your helmet off or, you know, maybe not go to a certain nightclub and and just stay under the radar a little bit. But he obviously didn't listen to me. You know, going to Mexicola <laughs> probably wasn't the greatest choice. But... He wasn't the only footballer in in the AFL on their are going to go to a bar, so I don't think that was a major issue. I just think the way we view footballers now and what's what's appropriate, and what's not, has changed a lot over the the last twenty or thirty years. So I can see that why there was some backlash, and I felt a little bit sorry for Jordan. He was, you know, he copped such a so much during those couple of weeks, but that's that's the difference that AFL plays confront now compared to what we did, you know, eighties and nineties, I guess.
1: Yeah, spot on. I guess because of what happened with America as well, with jo- with Jordan's situation, that probably didn't help help either. Did it because it was a, a bit of a bad look, like you mentioned. It's yeah, no, he's, no always,
0: he's always going to be under the spotlight, he's, and he's not a bloke. It's it's easy to miss. You know, he's he's a big guy covered in tattoos, Colin, plays for Collingwood, high profile. He was always going to get spotted. So, you know, in this day and age, he's he's, he's going to be under the microscope, and it probably backfired him on a little bit. But it sounds like Collingwood have got around him and. And hopefully, you know, he finished off the year strongly. Looks like Collingwood might be up there about. So hopefully he finishes the year strongly. And who knows what club he's got at next year.
1: Be interesting to see. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you still watch a fair bit of your Bombers as well over there in Bali? Yeah,
0: I, I watch a lot of footy, yeah. I've got the global apps. I watch a lot. I, I watch most games over the weekend. I, I, I watch a lot of the shows during the week. So I'm still a footy, footy nut. I still like to keep track of what's happening in the footy world. I, I, I do the fantasy. We have the Geckos Fantasy Football Comp, which I'm <laughs> really crap at. <laughs> um, I'm always on the with that. I always pick I think I pick the players through through my heart rather than through my mind. So I tend to pick players that I'm that I'm friendly with. So I'm, I'm often pretty ordinary at that game. So yeah, I watch I watch a lot of football and and really enjoy it. I'm probably more a bulldog supporter. I, I grew up being a bulldog. Doug Hawkins was my favorite player and my dog was called Dougie Hawkins. So um, I've gone back to being more of a Bulldog supporter than a, a bombers supporter, to be honest.
1: And and you've sort of been back. I know you mentioned before you, you haven't been back since the pandemic. But plans to go back to Victoria and catch up with some friends and family in in recent times, or
0: not? while it's cold, mate. I hate one of the reasons I moved to Bali
1: because <laughs> I hated cold
0: weather. I hated <laughs> surfing in cold water. So I, I don't have any you know immediate plans to uh, to get back. Plus, you know, Bali's starting to rebound. and I've got a I've got a lot of business interests here in in Indonesia, not only Bali but also Jakarta. So I really do need to, to focus on rebuilding our businesses here. So I don't have any plans to head back to Australia, but I've got so many friends now turning 50. So all those invites are starting to come through now <laughs> because I'm obviously turning 50. So all my schoolmates are, are hitting that age. So I've probably got to head back at some point, but I will do so reluctantly. Or make
1: them come to you, mate. That's probably an easier thing. <laughs>
0: well, that's what's happening they're all coming here I'm, every day I'm getting messages saying I'm, I'm arriving I'm coming tomorrow I'm coming next month so they're all on their way I tell you it's, it's only going to get busier over here well you're
1: obviously doing well with the F45 if you're having a few beers as well at the same time mate because you're in great shape for someone's that's about 10.50 so
0: <laughs> yeah you just got to you just got to be mixing it up you know like i, I I opened our first F45 on the Gold Coast a few years back with my brother and then we decided to do Bali. We opened up our first one in uh, around about 2017, I think it was. So I've got the F45 in Seminyak, the F45 in Canggu. I've got one in Jakarta and also opening another one up in the, up in the bucket up near Uluwatu. So it's probably – at least it's a business that keeps me fit. So when I do have those beers at sunset, at least I can get up next morning and not feel so guilty and get back, back into F45.
1: <laughs> exactly right. You mentioned it before, there's been some absolute AFL legends that have come over to Bali. Before I let you go, you know, a bit of fun with a segment called uh, Starstruck Celebrities. So, throughout your your footy career, past or, or post footy career, who's the celebrity that's left you starstruck the most, Ricky, and why? That's
0: a, that's a huge question. I actually went all the way to Barbados to meet Rihanna one time because I was good friends with Brian Lara and he invited me over to a concert and he said he, I'd get to meet her. And I was always a massive fan of Rihanna. So, I went all the way to Barbados and spent every day there trying to chase and, and meet Rihanna and it just it didn't happen. Brian let me down. So oh. that was the one that got away. In terms of here in Bali, oh. see, AFL players don't really – I'm, I'm not starstruck by AFL players. Yeah. But it's a very good question. But, yeah, I, I guess the, the person I wanted to meet most in the world was Rihanna at that time.
1: Oh, what a shame it didn't didn't happen, so – <laughs> didn't happen my Yeah, That one's snuck through, yeah. I reckon I actually bumped into a few years ago. You just said g'day because we didn't obviously know each other then. But there was a there Braithwaite concert a few years back in Bali, and I reckon you were there as well. And and that was sensational, yeah that was so. the Finns yeah
0: that was yeah a club they had yeah. all those
1: Australian legends yeah they they had um well 1927
0: played that day that they were yeah, one of my exactly. favourite bands as well yeah um so yeah yeah we might have we might have crossed paths at that, that day on the <laughs> dance floor
1: exactly right so you obviously get quite a few Aussie legends especially now now that things are starting to get back to normal coming over as well uh, we always
0: particularly I, I about October you get with so many of the AFL players and coming over not only the current players, but a lot of coaches and, and people involved with, with football at all levels. So October for me gets really crazy busy with, with current players and, and past players. And, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very tough social calendar for me during October. And, and the odd musicians as well? And odd musicians, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you see a few little. Well, Jason Singh from Taxi Ride, he's trained with the geckos before. Oh, how good. So you remember Taxi Ride and Get Set Everybody, that song? He, he's trained with the geckos in the past and he's, he reckons he's coming over later this year to have a run. <laughs> so, yeah, we've had a, we get a few sneaky sound systems here at the moment. Remember Connie for the, with the big hair from Sneaky Sound System? She's over here at the moment uh, playing in Mississippi. So, yeah, you, you get a few people, few Australian, you know, musicians and, and so forth going, coming through.
1: Sensational. And, uh, and just one final question. You were a boundary writer for Channel 7 back in the day. What was it like to work with Dipper?
0: <laughs> well, I, didn't, I actually didn't get to meet with Dipper. Well, I probably spoke like him at times and got, got my words <laughs> missed, messed up. I worked with uh, Dennis Cometti and Bruce McIvaney and Tim Watson, who was one of the most funniest blokes I ever played football with. So that was a good experience. I, I enjoyed working with Seven. The only thing I just hated those Sunday afternoons on the cold MCG watching crappy game like Melbourne versus Fremantle back then. Um, (laughs) So there was times it got a bit tough. And um, yeah, I was was, was happy to move on and watch other banjo Riders come come through.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, looks like you're living a pretty damn good life over there in Bali anyway, mate. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I won't be swapping lies. If they, if Channel 7 come back and offer the job, I'd be definitely saying no. <laughs> and once again, just plug the upcoming tournament that's happening over there in October. Okay, so we've got
0: the AFL Women's Tens Tournament um, hosted by the Bali Geckos Women's Team. We've already got Jakarta Bintang's locked in there coming over and we've got a couple other teams from Australia putting their hand up. So if you're keen to come and play a women's tournament in Bali and you only need a squad of 12, 12 girls, just send... Uh, the Bali Geckos a message on their Instagram at Bali Geckos or you can hit us up through our Facebook page as well.
1: Wonderful Rick. What a pleasure having you on Sports Legends of Bevo mate. Thanks for taking the time and uh, obviously you're enjoying life so much over there in Bali so keep up the great work and hopefully I can get over to Bali and have a beer with you some stage rather than the next couple yeah, of Yeah mate let
0: me know when you're coming over. Yeah we we'll, we might have a little sunset beer when, you, when you're here and, and maybe visit my spas. I've got some massage spas too mate so if you want to relax and <laughs> and uh, feel good. I've got a couple of mass I suppose you might want to venture into as well.
1: Sounds like a plan. <laughs> good on you, Rick. Thanks, thanks for chatting to us, mate. No worries, mate. Good on you. Cheers.